0: walk out with today. Excellent, excellent. Well, with that in mind, I might lead us in a short prayer, uh, and then we're going to hear from Rowan. Uh, our great and glorious Heavenly Father, we uh, give you great thanks and praise that you have made yourself known. And uh, we thank you that we don't have to guess at who you are, but you have uh, shown entirely who you are in the person of your son, Jesus, and in your word. So we pray now as we come to hear your word, hear it read and hear it explained, that we might be ready to hear, not just with our ears, but with our hearts and minds, and that we might not leave this place unchanged. We pray this with great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ron. Uh, I was on Facebook uh, last
1: night chatting to some people. Yes, believe it or not, I am on Facebook. Happy to be your friend, by the way. I show, I show no discrimination. Anyone who wants to be my friend, I say yes to. So, you're in. Right? Uh, you just got to find me. Um, I was on Facebook last night and uh, made a comment. I became a fan last night of five sync Boys. That's right. That's right. They, have a, they have a whole page now. Uh, I became a fan. And uh, someone, an old eu who I knew when I was a student here, uh, noticed that I'd just become a fan. Uh, he's a meteorologist now. Um, so you can blame him for every bad day of weather you have, obviously. Uh, and he said he sort of saw this and then thought, sort of, that's a bit weird, and so I started stalking my activity and, <laughs> and went to the Five Sick Boys page and looked at that and went, okay, and then he made a comment he said, wow, public meetings are sort of a bit more exciting than they used to be. <laughs> and that's sort of interesting because, true, sure I can't remember quite a moment like you just had Five, <laughs> Five Sick Boys before. However, one thing the hasn't really changed, that is the EU has been around for 80 years this year. The EU started in 1930, yeah, uh, from a small prayer group originally. But for 80 years, the EU, uh, through all sorts of different speakers and different people over the years, has been proclaiming Jesus to the campus. And they've been doing it by opening the Bible. Opening the Bible, and looking at what it says, and trying to help and encourage everyone in the university, Christian, non-Christian, to actually engage with what God has to say here in this book. That's what we've been doing for 80 years consistently. And so uh, it's really exciting to be starting our EU public meetings for yet another year. And there's all sorts of great things planned this year. As Hugh mentioned, we're gonna be looking at this book of Isaiah in a few different chunks, sort of four different chunks throughout the year. But there's lots of other parts of the Bible we'll be looking at as well. And so I hope you do grab hold of this opportunity to take the mind that I believe God's given you, the good mind, because you're here at university, in Sydney University no less, take that good mind that God's given you and apply it to understand the book that he's given us. And that out of that, you might be radically transformed. Because we don't proclaim Jesus and we don't encourage people to open their Bibles just so they might know more stuff about God. The goal of it is always and only personal transformation. Actually, it's more than just personal transformation. It's actually transformation of us corporately. And it's actually transformation of our society and world and university. That's the goal. But to be transformed by God and the power of His Spirit. That's why we come to the Bible each week. That's why when you come to an e-public meeting, that's what we'll be doing. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to bring it. Because that's where we're going to be looking each and every week. Now, the format here looks a bit like a lecture. After all, you're sitting there, I'm standing here, I'm talking to you. That's efficiency, right? <laughs> it's efficiency at this sort of point in time. However, w- this is not, and I hope it's not, just like every other lecture you go to. My guess is you haven't quite had the five sing boys in any lecture that you've gone to so far. <laughs> this week. Uh, so I guess it's already a little bit different. And that's sort of deliberate. It's actually saying this is not actually just an opportunity to listen to someone speak. No, this is actually a gathering, a gathering of a faith community. This is a gathering of people who, in the EU, who claim the name of Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But it's not just Christians who gather because this is a public meeting. We hold this meeting inviting anyone and everyone in the university to come and engage their God-given mind with God's book. So that they too might come to an understanding who Jesus is and be transformed. So it might feel a bit like a lecture at times, but I'm going to do my best to try to not make it like that. Uh, different times we probably going to get to do it today because of the uh, excellent five-cent adventure that we just had. But uh, next week I'm hoping we're actually going to spend some time doing sort of Q&A uh, about the sort of the passage that we're looking at next week and stuff like that. I hang around at afternoon tea afterwards where, again, we can just get, get to chat informally and love to take up stuff with me. Uh, pick me up on Facebook, have an interesting chat with some guys last night about some of the stuff I said yesterday in the public meeting. So there's lots of opportunities, and I hope that under God that's really effective for you. Uh, and just again, remember, same talk on Wednesdays, a much bigger lecture theatre. but some people like the intimacy. Particular yeah, that could be good too, if you actually got a seat, please. Okay. So, what are we talking about here at the EU public meetings? Well, I've said we're talking from the Bible, but really we have two topics here. I'm old school. I like to sound of a short-term voice. <laughs> <laughs> we get PowerPoint. Completely overrated. <laughs> Theology, spirituality. I reckon those are the two things really we want to engage with in the EU. Theology being the question about God or gods. Who is God? Or who are the gods? Is it a he, she, it, them? But the question of who is God? Spirituality, the question of how do we relate to God? How do we relate to these gods or whoever is there? These are the two big questions, I reckon, that we're sort of dealing with in the course of the public meetings. We come back to these. We really deal with these questions in some form every week. Now, there's lots of different answers out there in society about who are the gods, or who is God, and how do we relate to them. A little thought I had during the week was, I wonder if the reason there's so many answers to those questions, you look at all the world's religions and what people told told in society, I wonder if the reason is because we go about answering these questions the wrong way. We do this, When we should do this what i mean is i think we do human-centered theology and human-centered spirituality rather than god-centered theology and god-centered spirituality or if you want to impress your friends with fancy words i made up a word we do anthropojective (laughs) <laughs> Anthroprojective theology, and we do anthrocentric, anthropocentric, I didn't really know what I'm saying, as <laughs> well. <laughs> Meaning by we actually tend to make God in our own image. Of course, if you know the Christian Bible, you know in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God made human beings in his image. The great irony is, of course, we remake God in our own image, we make God out to be the person we'd like him to be. We want God to approve of what I approve. We want God to hate what I hate. We make God into our own image. And because you might want something different to what you want, suddenly our gods look a bit different. And I just wonder if we approach the question of God very human-centered. And the question we ask in spirituality is, how do I relate to God? Rather than saying, actually, you know what? Maybe we should just ask a question not about what we think God should be like, but what he actually is like in himself. Maybe we should try to start with God. That's what evangelical Christians claim, by the way. They say that there is only one true God and that he has revealed himself. Hence, it's no longer really up to our human subjectivity about what I would like God to be or what I think God might be. It's actually, are you engaging with who God has revealed himself to be? And in spirituality, the question gets transformed. Instead of, how will I relate to God, it's actually, how is he relating to me? That's a question I need to deal with. <laughs> and so what we want to do here in the EU public meetings is actually be God-centred. We actually want to take what we believe God has revealed himself to be and engage with that and think about it. Uh, four Ps for you in terms of God's revealing of himself from an evangelical Christian standpoint we believe that God has revealed himself progressively. That is, God has revealed himself, the one true God has revealed himself throughout history in a progressive fashion. You know more when you get to Jesus of Nazareth than you knew a thousand years before in the time of King David or 800 years before that in the time of Abraham. You know more about God as he reveals himself in his relationships with his people over time. progressive. Secondly, we believe that God has revealed himself personally. That is, God has revealed himself climactically in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the historic Jesus of Nazareth. Thirdly, and this is a bit of a fudge here in terms of a plea, but anyway, we believe, as evangelical Christians, that he's revealed himself in perpetuity. Um, a bit of a stretch. That is, you didn't need to be there to see Jesus of Nazareth. would have been fantastic, wouldn't I mean, all the sorts of questions you could have asked him. I mean, many people were there. Many people did get to actually hear him talk, see him risen from the dead. You and I weren't there. But under God's great, generous blessing, we have the testimony of those who've been part or been given that progressive revelation, that personal revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's recorded for you in perpetuity by his inspired, authoritative witnesses. But finally, we believe God has revealed himself Powerfully. Powerfully. That is, what we believe that God does, as He's revealed Himself here, is that He, by His Holy Spirit, takes His Word and applies it powerfully into the lives of individuals and communities of His people. God reveals Himself powerfully through His Spirit and Word. And it's because of that but we come to this particular book in the Bible the book of Isaiah and we want to hear what Isaiah has to say because this is part of God's progressive and personal, perpetual and powerful revelation of himself so that's what we're going to be looking at over these first four weeks initially now I'm going to wrap up believe it or not, at 10 which is pretty interesting isn't it we're going to wrap up at 10-2 let me just say a few words about Isaiah a few words about this book of Isaiah I liken the book of Isaiah to—I can't think of the right word—I liken the book of Isaiah to, I think, a much untravelled a much untraveled, glorious Christian mountain range. I think the book of Isaiah is a fantastic, mighty mountain range. But Christians very rarely go there. Uh, like if I say to you the Himalayas, you think, yeah, Mount Everest. Now Mount Everest is pretty impressive. However, the Himalayas, there is mountain upon glorious mountain upon glorious mountain. You and I would we, really, we might guess K2, but now there is. But we really don't know the mountain range, right? Well, I think the book of Isaiah is like that. We might know of Isaiah 53 or your other, you know, you might have a famous page, Isaiah 6, which we'll look at next week. But for most of the book, I think it's a, it's just an, an undiscovered mountain range, a neglected mountain range. I want to encourage you in the course of this year, whilst you're here, why don't you just go for a bit of a trek? Why don't you go for, the, for a trek through the book of Isaiah this year? Because what I'll be able to do with you in the public meetings is not much i can give you only the lonely planet guide. i can't actually do it for you right you actually need to go and read it all like today in 10 minutes i meant to cover isaiah 1 to 5. <laughs> now i can tell you some of the big points and i'll try and do that but, but really you need to you need to go there here's a second metaphor for the book of isaiah i think the book of isaiah is a vital lens lens a pair of glasses if you like through which all of us can come to a richer, deeper understanding of the person of Jesus. Now, that's a bit interesting because the book of Isaiah was written 700-plus years before Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. However, when you look at the New Testament and the record of you know, Jesus' ministry and, and what he did and what he said, the second most quoted Old Testament book is the book of Isaiah. The most quoted is the book of Psalms. The second most quoted is the book of Isaiah. For those who were there listening to Jesus, witnessed his resurrection, passed on that teaching authoritatively to us, the book of Isaiah was a vital lens for them to understand who he was and what he was doing. So frankly, if you can come to an EU public meeting on the book of Isaiah and you don't walk out with a richer, deeper understanding of Jesus, I've really stuffed up. I've really stuffed up. So... There you go. That's me trying to encourage you, actually, to take the book of Isaiah and spend some good time in it. Now, um, let's have Isaiah chapter 1, some of them read to us. Who's doing that today? Excellent. Ali's going to come and read. You might like to open to Isaiah chapter 1, share with the person next to you, verses 1. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm starting from chapter 1, verse 1. Please follow along, please. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling in my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come, now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
1: Something is terribly wrong. You got the Bible there. Did you see the first couple of verses? Verse 1 gives you the historical context. Isaiah was a prophet during the reign of four different kings of Judah, southern kingdom of Israel. However, something is terribly wrong. Verses 2 and 3. God's own people, his children, called there in verse 2, they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner, ananjah, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Something is terribly wrong. God's people have in the next couple of verses, verse 4 turned their back, we're told on the very God who made them, who formed them into a nation who saved them out of Egypt, who brought them to the promised land, who sent them kings and prophets and judges and something is terribly wrong. God's people have turned their back. How bad is it? Well, I wonder if you were there where you've picked out how bad it was, if you were actually there walking around. Like, they're still, the temple's still there that God gave them and they're still praying and they're still sacrificing their animals and they're still celebrating his festivals. These are the things he told them to do. But did you pick it up there in verses 10 to 17? He says, you know what, your religious practices, these things I gave you, I hate them. I hate that you do these things. That doesn't make any sense. Isn't that an unexpected hatred? These are the things he told them to do. Why does he hate them? Well, he's doing well, if, they're, if they're being obedient in this sort of way. The reason he hates them is because it is all about form with no substance. It's style and show with no substance. It's all ritual without any relational reality undergirding it. It's all hectic activity without any heart. That's what's going on. And so God says, you know what? I, I detest, I hate the fact that you are still praying to me, that you're still doing these sacrifices because it's not coming from here. You've actually turned your back on me. And the, uh, through the rest of chapters 2 to 5, which were just sort of... Chapter 1 is the big intro, right, to the whole book. It gives you a lot of the key things for the whole rest of the book. Chapters 2 to 5 form the rest of, like, the preface... The scene setting. When you get to chapter 6, which is next week, you meet Isaiah really for the first time. This is all the opening shot of the movie before you've met the main guys or girls sitting in the cafe. It's the, it's the camera zooming up the street so you see sort of the sort of area that it's in, what's going on. Like This is all preface, setting it up. And what you see through ch- chapters 2 to 5 is it fleshes out some of the stuff in chapter 1. Chapter 1 told you that they'd turned their back on their one true God. Chapters 2 or 5 fleshes that out. Their land is full of idols. They trust more in people than they do in God. Their leaders oppress God's people. The women are haughty and more concerned with fashion than with God himself. There's people who are heroic hedonists. They are champions, Isaiah says, at mixing drinks. They are heroes at alcohol consumption and they're on the tape. They take bribes in the courts. There's people who are only concerned to party, 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 Isaiah says. There are people whose only concern is to drag sin along by a heart and say, do it, have a go at this, do this thing. There's people in the land who are only concerned with greed. They just say, more, more, more. Oh, it sounds a lot like college life, actually, if you're at university. <laughs> but anyway, that's, he's, that is the, what, that's the fleshing out of this turning about. That. That's what it looks like. Now, sure, people who don't know God do those things, of course. This is God's own people. This is what they are like. And God says, I hate the fact that you're still sacrificing these things. Still still following because there's nothing coming from you. So I want to say to you, if if you call yourself a Christian person, say, what does that make you think about your own walk with God? See, so how would you finish this sentence? I'm okay with God because I'm okay with God because I can tick the boxes, I go to church, or maybe just I'm a good person, or I'm not as bad as those other people. Or because I know a lot of the truths and I can discern truth from error and right doctrine from heresy. Or I'm okay with God because I go to Christian stuff. I'm okay with God because I say, ah, man, loudly at the end of prayers. I'm okay with God because I sing. It's all, potentially that's all outward form, isn't it? Potentially you could do all those things that have no substance, no heart. See, I think the right answer is actually, according to the Scriptures, I'm okay with God. Because in His forgiveness, and in His power, and in faith, I walk His walk. I don't just talk the talk. I walk His walk. In His forgiveness, in His power, in faith. Now, that was just unexpected hatred. That's what I'm going to wrap up now. What you'll see in the rest of this this chapter is unexpected judgment. It's not just that God says, I hate your practice. He's actually going to bring judgment upon his people. He actually calls his own people his enemy. And what he says is instead of the great glorious picture, the beginning of chapter 2, where all the nations of the world are going to come to Jerusalem and worship me in peace... He says, actually, at the end of chapter 5, he says, actually, all the nations will come to Jerusalem, but they will come ready for war. And they will come not to worship me, but they will come to destroy you, my people, my enemies. There is unexpected judgment here on God's apple. And you can read all that and you think, man, that is dark. This is really, really dark. You need to remember then that through these, woven through these chapters, right from chapter 1 and right through the book, are these glorious, glorious parts of unexpected grace. In the midst of such judgment and darkness, right there in chapter 1, it starts, verses 18 to 20 of chapter 1, one of the, the most beautiful pictures of God's grace and forgiveness in the whole of the Christian Bible. Where God says, come, let us read it together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are crimson, they shall be white as wool. God offers incredible grace to his people even as they've turned their backs on him. And so, friend, I don't know where you stand with God this year as you sit here today. I don't know what sins you feel stained with. I don't know what, what you do about that. Like, do you... Do you just say, oh, it doesn't really matter? Do you just try to forget it? Do you just try to harden your heart against that? Whatever the sins are, whatever the failings are that you feel burdened down with and stained by, can I just say, Isaiah chapter 1, in the light of what the Lord Jesus does for us in in his death and resurrection, Isaiah chapter 1 says to you, you too can be a recipient of God's grace and forgiveness. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care that it's a secret. I, maybe you killed somebody. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe it was a terrible traffic accident. It was an accident. You killed somebody. Maybe it was that abortion you had that no one knows about. Maybe it's the fact that you've been sleeping with someone and you know that it's not right. I, I, I don't care what the sin is at one level because I tell you, God wants to shower grace and forgiveness on you. That's the message of Isaiah. Why did he want to do that? Show such unexpected grace because he is unexpectedly determined to fulfil his purposes for all of his creatures, which is to bring you into the living, eternal presence of himself. And you can see that in chapter 4. Verses 1 to 6, which you can go away and read. We're going to stop there, friends. Time has passed us, but I hope that's wedded your appetite for the book of Isaiah this year. close in prayer. I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and revealing yourself to us in the Scriptures. We pray as we pour our minds into it this year, you would reveal yourself to us in power by your Spirit so we might know you and love you to your glory. Amen. We'd love to receive those slips from you on the way out about getting involved this year. Love to have you join us in our work on campus. Both doors. And afternoon tea is outside this way. Please join us for a cover.